1: Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Stephen Fine, the Managing Director at Growth Focus. Stephen and I today talk all about the top considerations when buying and selling financial planning practices. We discuss who the usual buyers are for financial planning practices. We drill into a few case studies in this area. We touch on on the mistakes made when selling a financial planning practice and the impact that we see from the changes in the market. So without further ado, let's get started with our discussion with Steve. Hi, Steve. Welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, today we're talking all about the specific area of the top considerations when buying and selling financial planning practices. So let's start with maybe your background in financial planning practices, because I know this is um, a type of industry you deal with a lot.
0: Yes. uh, Well, we've been facilitating the sale of financial planning practices for well over a decade now. Yeah, you know, working with buyers and sellers and completing the transaction. So we've seen all sorts of transactions and structures and deals and how deals are being completed. So yeah, that, that's basically what we do, and and, and that's that's our primary uh, segment.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about financial planning practices as a whole. So let's start off with who who are the usual buyers of financial planning practices? Because I guess there's a there's there's a range, isn't there? Maybe talk to us about the usual buyers.
0: So the usual buyers are you know. You've got the larger practices who, you know, may have made acquisitions in the past or on an acquisition trail, experienced uh, buyers and, uh, you know, looking to grow that way. Um, you may have, um, you know, a one-off individual one-man band as a buyer. Uh, they may not have purchased previously.
1: As in someone who's already a financial planner yes, and who's then looking already. to acquire. Correct. Correct. Um, you, you know financial planning practice because it's already set up and it's going and it's proven you know you've got clients
0: yes so they get uh, they, they get enough confidence to say okay look it's time to expand things and uh, acquisition is a good way to go that type of buyer so they may not have any buying experience but they've got the planning uh, experience and they've got the experience you know running and managing a practice and they're at a stage now where they are uh, ready to take the next step. Mm. And then the third type of buyer is perhaps someone who hasn't run a practice. They may have been employed capacity and they're ready to to step up, run their own show. So those are the three types of buyers that we come across.
1: We also see buyers in this space that might perhaps um, have uh, financial, might see financial planning as a good, addition to their service offerings so that might be accounting practices or you, you know those sorts of businesses do do you see many of those types of buyers around
0: at the moment uh, not that many there were in the past where you know it was um you know an aligned business who said okay look let's have a go at this financial planning thing and see see how it goes but we're really not seeing a lot of that anymore
1: and what do you think that is
0: well, I think those who have tried it before and really didn't understand the financial planning process and, you know, what's involved, it's not as easy as it sounds, you know, on mm-hmm. paper, it's okay, well, let's just buy this practice and then we'll have, an, uh, you know, it'll be aligned with what we do. And at the end of the day, there's got to be someone there who's really driving it. And I think that's the problem with that model. You know, if the, if the vendor exits, getting someone employed is different, you know, they don't have the same drive and motivation that that an owner would have. Yeah. I think that's really the the key to that one. Yeah. So in short, no, we we, we don't get a lot.
1: So if you're looking at, Acquisitions and actually, before I go there, ma- maybe we a step back because I feel like there's probably a few stories there you have of um, acquisitions that haven't quite gone to plan. Uh, are there any sort of you know examples that you've seen of buyers coming in perhaps expecting the wrong thing out of the business and then it just not turning out the way that they'd expected?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can think of one one instance where a purchaser made a, an acquisition of a financial planning practice. The vendor was exiting the. Vendor was actually going overseas and plan was look let's get somebody in to take over the business it went pear-shaped because they had nominated a person this person had said all the right things that they were going to run the business and um you know, they were working together for, for three months and then this employee person decided they wanted to go and do it, do it themselves. And yeah, it wasn't a pretty picture because it was very unethical what the uh, employee person did.
1: Wow. And so then left the new buyer without the new buyer anyone to the hold the clients and provide exactly. the services.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that that's kind of relates back to, to the issues of not being on the ground and not yeah. having control of yeah. the business.
1: Yeah. Well, taking it from a buy side perspective, maybe if you can step out for us, the sorts of things that you think buyers should be considering when they're looking to buy financial planning
0: practice. Um, Look, I mean, there's the standard, you know, looking at the quality of the business. I I think what may be more of value is perhaps how how to buy the business and, and what to consider. I mean, one of the mistakes that I see from buyers, and often it results in them not making a successful acquisition, is not detailing their offer. Mm. I'll give you an example. Buying a practice like this, there's so many other considerations. It's not like a widget in a store and uh, you you say, look, I'll pay X amount and thank you very much. Let's wrap it up and off you go. There's emotions involved. There's questions around Post-transaction, what's going to happen with the staff? Is the new acquirer going to gel with the clients? Mm. The key thing that I think uh, is, is really important is when uh, making a, an offer, detail the offer. A lot of buyers think, oh, look, I'll just put a multiple on there and um, you know the terms and, and that's enough. But you want to really, in, 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 in presenting an offer, put forward what the plans are for, for the staff, put forward what the plans are for the location, put forward how... The onboarding process is, is, is going to work. Exactly what's required from the buyer to transition the clients across um, and introduce them to, to the new buyer. So lack of detail in offers, I think, is one of the biggest mistakes that, that buyers make.
1: Mm. And that, that's interesting because the sorts of things that you're talking about, and, and and you're talking about the discussion that you're having with the potential buyer, that you're then you know feeding back to the seller, or you you suggesting that all of this should be in writing.
0: I am. We spend a lot of time on the heads of agreement. Mm. Uh, you could call the heads of agreement a terms document. It's not binding, but. Um, we uh, encourage fleshing out as much detail as possible mm. because it's going to come out, and you, you you don't want it to come out after the transaction. Oh, I thought it's, I thought this was, was going to happen, or this was going to happen. Get it all discussed and clarified before. Before the transaction occurs, not not to digress though. I I mean that's just standard practice for anything. I'm I'm talking about for buyers though, because a lot of buyers, you know, they come to us and they missed out on the last one, and they missed out on the next one, and by the way, the 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 way they go about it, um, you can actually get a sense of why they're missing out, and they're missing out because. And not going into the details in the offer.
1: It's an interesting approach because usually we'll see in, in these, um, you know, heads of agreement or commercial terms or whatever you're calling them, um, the that, you know, we'll talk about price and payment um, and, you know, perhaps ancillary documents that sit together with the transaction, the way in which the transaction will happen, and perhaps exclusivity and a bit of confidentiality, but not so much these other areas that you're talking about, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of location and um, staff transition plans and all of those sorts of things. So that's that's yeah. a bit of an, an, a different approach, I, I guess, that you're bringing.
0: Yeah. I mean, if there was one takeaway, that's it, is it's not enough. Take extra time in the offers and cover off all of these factors. Because if you think of it from the seller's perspective, um, you know, making this decision, it's not easy. Um, And these questions are going to be in the back of the seller's mind, regardless. Uh, Address those questions in your offer. That's my key tip for buyers.
1: Mm, mm, Fascinating, you know, a way of approaching it. And how many buyers do you think go into that sort of that you deal with? Uh, I mean, we don't see many, as I said, documents that contain all of that sort of information, but you... Do most of your buyers then, obviously, this is something that you were suggesting to your buyers as part of the process. Do many of them then come back with this this detailed plan or is this sort of an advice that you're giving to the buyers that is falling on their fees? Uh,
0: no, a lot of time we actually push for the information. You know, if we're moving forward, we encourage and, and bring up, you know, points that may not have even been considered for discussion and that, that that helps the buyer. Actually, get uh, a successful result.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of buyers, you know, think from a very financial perspective, obviously, in relation to an acquisition. uh, And many sellers um, come at it with perhaps a little bit more emotion of, you know, they've built this business over years and
0: definitely more emotion. And if you're looking at stories or just thinking of some examples where, you know, a buyer came back and came back to us and said, well, you know, here's my offer. Why? is it not why can i not get an answer on this the seller cannot make a decision yeah they just they need more
1: yeah and often what's driving you know we we've had a a few deals recently where um our sellers have become really concerned about deals on the basis of how their staff will be treated um and yeah. how that continuity will happen and, and you know, the approaches that will be used for their clients. And, and it's interesting because sometimes this is very difficult for us to communicate to buyers who are just, you, you know, who perhaps aren't tuned in to some of those concerns that might be playing in the mind of sellers. Yeah. So it's such Absolutely. a good point, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, I can think of a, a, a recent example where, look, you know, you're you're a lawyer, and some of these, uh, you know, the intention of the parties, it's it's hard to actually put into a document, and that's why it's missed in a, in in a lot of documents. But this recent example was, we had to actually articulate what the intentions are and what the view of the buyer of you know what it what it looked like in six months, what it looked like in twelve months. That was really critical. You know, it was a situation where the vendor was actually staying on in an employed capacity, but we had to talk about what the vision was so that the 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 vendor could take comfort and say, okay, well there's alignment there. Mm. Um, And it's hard I mean how do you put that into a contract?
1: No, that's right. No, no, exactly. And it's all of this soft side that I think can be missed and that is actually so critical and sometimes can be the reason behind roadblocks that occur in deals. And and you know, when advisors aren't tuned into it, um, it can be perplexing <laughs> that a deal suddenly falls falls over. And yet yeah. there have been red flags along the way because of a communication issue between yeah. a buyer and seller in yeah. terms of this vision or the the um treatment of elements that are of particular concern to the mm. sellers, or indeed, you know, on the flip side, the buyers. It's that EQ, the emotional intelligence yeah, that's part yeah. of this game as well, right? So moving on to talk about the market a little bit in financial planning practices. Obviously a lot has changed over recent years um, in the industry itself, the financial planning industry. So what what impact has this had on value of financial planning practices and the saleability of financial planning practices?
0: Uh, the good news is the demand is still strong. Yep. The, you know, there's more buyers than sellers. The multiples have been come under uh, pressure in the last couple of, couple of years. You know, compliance costs have gone up, insurance costs have gone up. So multiples have come down a, a, a little bit if we, you know, compare it to transactions that we were doing three, four, five years ago. But the demand is is, is still strong.
1: Mm. Okay. Great to hear, I guess, uh, you know, from your side of the fence as well. And so, what sort of tips do you have for sellers then in the financial planning space?
0: We've got a uh, an e-book out which which covers all the mistakes that vendors make when selling their practices. Mm. You know, happy to make that uh, available to, to anybody. We've got a link on our website. You can download it. You know, it talks about five key mistakes, but there's a lot of other considerations and a lot of other mistakes one can make. <laughs> you know, the whole premise is make... make uh, Learn from other people's mistakes rather than learn from yourself.
1: (laughs) And that, of course, is the whole reason for the Deal Room podcast itself as well. (laughs) And just as a quick snapshot then for our listeners, what are those five key mistakes?
0: Not having good data is the key one. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: As in not being prepared with their data to hand over during due diligence? Is that what you mean?
0: No, before due diligence. You know, we, we, we have a whole lot of templates that we work with vendors on, you know, a master Excel sheet. And the more data we've got there, the, the better. It adds value to the, the practice, absolutely. It, it speeds up the process considerably, you know, reduces the backward-forward Q&As. Good data is absolutely critical. I'm not talking about at the due diligence stage. I'm talking before you actually take the business to market. Mm. So that's the key one. Um, the second one is knowing exactly what you want. And you know, a lot of vendors will go into a discussion and you know they have an approach. Well, let's see how it goes. We think that's a mistake. We spend a lot of time with vendors articulating what their ideal outcome is you know what's the ideal scenario in a perfect world and you know just like the buyers being very specific about detail we encourage vendors to be as specific uh, as, as as they can mm. doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way but at least you've got an aspiration outcome to shoot for mm. because if you don't you're kind of just blowing in the wind and oftentimes you'll just go in the direction that the uh that the buyer wants to take you in Mm. so yeah being clear on on what you want is is, is pretty important
1: mm-hmm.
0: i mean we've got a whole lot of exercises as well we've got a, a tool called an inflection questionnaire uh, where we ask vendors a whole lot of questions you know some are factual questions some are kind of emotional how would you feel in a situation like this or how would you feel having to report to someone in a transition you know we we, we get the data the, the the data from that and go back to them and say look you know you've said this is your aspiration but your questions Uh, there's a few little conflicts here we're going to just discuss this before we uh finalize what what you're shooting for and you know what outcome you're aiming for
1: and and i guess those two areas that you talked about so far those those top two mistakes the the preparation of data and then you know being clear on outcomes is that do you think that's Particular to the financial planning industry, or no? Is that... I think it's
0: I think it's common across all sectors.
1: Yeah, and and is there anything that you see in the financial planning industry itself that you feel is you know a particular nuance that perhaps sellers or or even buyers in in the industry miss and just don't realize that is quite different. To other business sales,
0: there's not, there's there's nothing specific that jumps out for financial planning. You know, it's, I mean, it's going to be similar to any service transaction where you, you know you're not selling the asset. You're selling is really the relationships of the clients. It
1: is. That's right. It's the yeah. relationship, isn't it? And and I guess it's a bit like an accounting practice.
0: Same, the, same thing. Yeah.
1: The, there can be very very strong relationships um, between and and whilst it might be the same in any professional services business, I think. There is this sort of element when finances are involved. So your financial planning practices, your accounting practices, where that relationship between the advisor and the end client is very, can be very close. And and I guess then in those situations, the particular issue that we have to manage is how is it that we ensure that when there's a transmission of business that our client's stay um and you, you know quite often we'll have the, a retention to deal with that but retention is only a component of the sale price um you, you know sometimes 10 20 and so you've still got the balance that's exposed if you haven't from a buy side perspective if you haven't found a way to properly transition the clients and then from the sell side perspective of course you've got the retention Um, uh, you've got the retention at risk so what's some examples that you've seen of how you know how from a practical perspective we can help to ensure that that value properly transfers between the seller and the buyer in this tricky situation of dealing with human relationships
0: again it just comes back to detail and discussing and scenarios you know we often find you know being in the middle, two parties agree and they say, let's, let's go. Everyone's excited. And we're sitting there on the sidelines. We go, there's a few more things we actually need to discuss. You know, what's going to happen on such and such a date? How is it? What, what is your role going to be? Uh, like, like we can actually see it where the buyer and seller may not see it. they just, you know, too quick to conclude the transaction, not realize that there's potentially going to be some issues that come up afterwards. Yeah. So both buyers and sellers, we're really strong on talking scenarios. Do you realize that, you know, by month two, it's going to look like this, you're going to be doing this, the seller's going to be doing this, the buyer's going to be doing that. Is that how you see it? And just revisit all of that. Just keep asking those questions. We found ourselves actually bringing, bringing these things up quite regularly.
1: Mm. And so, what what's an example that you've seen? Do you recall an instance where this um the, this transition had been done really really well? Like, do you recall any instances where you thought, oh gosh, they nailed it?
0: Yes, uh, you know, this one transition which worked so smoothly. Uh, you know, the 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 buyer and the seller were very very similar when that, when they did the transition. You know, they had I mean, it worked beautifully. They had the same interests. They did the, the same hobbies. <laughs> And um, you know, they—it was almost like, from the client's perspective, that most similar. So that that transition was particularly nice, uh, smooth, very, very seamless.
1: So, so you're saying that the end clients sort of had this—you know—the replacement advisor to them felt so similar to the first yeah. that there was this this smoothness in the in the transition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean don't do transactions if you're not similar to the <laughs> fascinating to the i love that
1: we have to go and you know personality profile all our buyers now and our sellers and match them up and
0: <laughs>
1: yeah so maybe that's an approach maybe that's not a bad thing to add into the we look at this we're innovating as we go here steve <laughs> yeah Okay. And then, so then on the flip side, and and just to give us a little bit more context, okay, so this worked really smoothly because there's a lot of similarity between the vendor and the buyer. Was this a practice where there were, um, you know, not many other staff or what was sort of the size of the practice here? And and were there other, you know, elements, I guess? Was it an individual buying in, you you know, to replace a job or what were the other elements? It
0: was an individual buying in uh, who had an existing business, which was the same size as the vendor's business. Got it. I mean, it was fairly sizable because these were high net worth clients. Yep. The, the relationships were were the key individuals. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and then so on the flip side, you probably know where I'm about to go. But um, what have you got, you know, in mind any examples of where this was done really badly, and you look back and you go, oh gosh, that was that was an example of how not to do it.
0: I can think of an example where the vendor wanted to get out a lot earlier, and the seller wanted the vendor to stay mm. a lot longer. Mm. And there was conflict. It was very frustrating for, for, for the vendor. They felt locked in. They felt as if they were locked in because you know, the purchaser after the purchase wasn't under pressure to relieve them so that they could exit. Mm. And that got very, very frustrating for the seller as time went by.
1: Oh, boy. I, tell, I think you're hitting on, you, you know, that that is a classic example of where um, issues, tend to creep up where the seller is just staying on board just for too long. And I think ultimately it comes back to um, a couple of things really. Once someone has run their own business, they find it very hard to um, continue to operate under someone else's, oh, yes, you know, <laughs> reign.
0: Sure. A- absolutely. Uh, you know, t- taking instruction. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's always going to be new uh, new systems introduced. Once you, When you've sold your business, the last thing you really want to do is learn a new system. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're probably thinking about the beach and the golf course. That's right. That's you know, it a retirement and, and now you've got to learn a new system like, right? Mm, didn't anticipate
1: yeah. this. I've heard people describe that period—you know, the period of staying on after the sale of their business—as one of the most horrible things they've ever had to do so in their entire yes. life. Yes. So I think, yeah. you know, from a buy side, you just have to—you you have to be aware of this. And if you think that part of the value to you is dependent on the seller staying on board, you just need to be aware that that might not be a happy place for them. And if it's not a happy place for them, it may not end up being a happy place for you either. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, having a complete, uh, at least understanding that 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 is a very common um, outcome helps you work out whether there's alternatives or what to put in place to try and avoid those sorts of issues from appearing. And and I think, you know, particularly so when there's earnouts or where there's money on the line for sellers, it can seem like a great idea to a buyer and it can be a great idea. But if there's not enough there in terms of motivation for the seller or the seller is already out the door in terms of from an emotional perspective, or the you know what they want to be doing. Handcuffing them to the business can be, um, you, you know, can just create friction. So, so I think it's really important to be aware of that. So it's fascinating that you brought that up.
0: I mean, yeah. Another example was where a vendor actually disagreed with the strategies that were being presented yeah. to the client. Yeah. It yep. doesn't mean the strategies were wrong. It's just the vendor didn't agree with them. Oh,
1: to- I've seen that play uh, out as they
0: well. Couldn't, they couldn't in good faith, you know, take instruction or go in the direction the business wanted to go in because fundamentally they were, you know, they didn't have faith in, 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 in that direction or in that advice.
1: Yeah. What do you suggest then to avoid that sort of issue from occurring?
0: Detail beforehand. Yeah. Genarios, asking more questions, really.
1: Or get them out of the business quickly, I guess. Or get them out right. of the business quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> But that doesn't always work. Sometimes, you know, it's really important for transition of the value, and we talked about, you know, the the elements of a financial planning practice that mean, in some instances, you know, it really makes sense for there to be this proper transition. But I guess it's just making sure you're coming at it from a perspective where you're understanding the human psychology of the seller and you've found a way, you you know, and it might even be about getting the right advisors on board to help with that direction. Well, look, I just want to say a huge thank you, Steve, for for coming on to the Deal Room podcast. Is there anything else about the financial planning, you know, sale and acquisition world you feel like we haven't touched on that we should dig into?
0: Uh, Look, it's active. It's changing. There's a lot of consolidation happening at the moment. It's interesting to see how, you know, various parties value the businesses. Look, we enjoy it. It keeps us on our toes. (laughs) We meet some really interesting characters along the way. You know, make some good friends along the way. So we're we're enjoying it. We're in for the long haul.
1: Brilliant. Well, look, Steve, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. And if any of our listeners want to reach out to you, and if they want to get a copy of this some um, Five Mistakes ebook for um, selling financial planning practice, how do they go about doing that?
0: Yes, yeah, so, uh, you can download it off our website, uh, growthfocus.com.au, wow. and uh, you'll find a little link. There's a couple of other um, ebooks available as well. Uh, there's one if you're looking at a, a lot longer horizon. You know, five, six years. Uh, that's a separate ebook with a whole lot of separate you know, considerations.
1: Fabulous. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, thank you once again, Steve, um, for coming thank on you, to Diana. the Door Room podcast. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast, all about the top considerations when buying and selling financial planning practices. Just a quick recap. In this episode, we talked about who the usual buyers are for financial planning practices, the mistakes sellers usually make when selling financial practices, and we also, of course, touched on a case study showing how value transfers between the seller and the buyer. Well, that's it. If you'd like to find out more information about this topic, then head over to our website at W www.thedealroompodcast.com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Stephen Fine at Growth Focus. And of course, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our Legal Eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services that help businesses both prepare for a sale or acquisition and also to work through the sale or acquisition in process. We work with clients both big and small and they have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then don't forget to pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process we work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity we provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition so see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au ladies and gentlemen,
0: ladies and gentlemen.